Thank you so much. Um, we're now going to have our readings. Uh, Barbara is going to bring them to us. Thank you. The first reading comes from the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his love for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And the second reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there should be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Wow, that seems a long time since I stood here. Partly because uh, of COVID, but before that because I took on another couple of roles in the diocese, which meant I withdrew from uh, some of the uh, responsibilities that I've had in the life of the church in order to have some time to have a life with Anita and the family. I don't know about you, but I'm really conscious of the privilege of being able to stand here and to share and to be at home and to be part of this amazing community. But I'm also conscious that this community that we are a part of is a community around the world. And today, our brothers and sisters in India and Africa are suffering levels of COVID that have not been seen before across the world. And while we rejoice in our vaccines, we also have to remember those around the world who are going through such a different experience from us. And so as I stand here and, 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 and preach and share, it's with very mixed feelings. I'm very conscious that the challenge, we're feeling, beginning to feel that it's over and we can let our guard down. Actually, we're a long way from that. And let's hold on to our faith, hold on to God's promise within the darkness, but also recognize that we need to stand with people and hold them in our prayers. So let us pray. Father, as we reflect today on what it means to be transformed and what you call us to, we recognize that we are called to live for you in a very dark and complex world at times. We pray that this morning you will inspire us with your love and drive us on into serving you with new fervor. In Jesus' name, amen. Now last week, uh, it's good to see Nigel here, last week Nigel spoke to us about three wonderful transformations that happen when we submit our lives to Christ. And I hope I've got them right, Nigel, you can correct me afterwards. First of all, that we're transformed into the children of God, that we are secondly transformed into the likeness of Christ, and thirdly, that our actions start to be transformed through a life of repentance. Did I get it right? I did, fantastic. And he pointed us to the example of the caterpillar, which undergoes a spectacular transformation into a butterfly or a moth. And I got to thinking about that transformation. Why does a caterpillar become a butterfly? Is it for the sheer joy of it, to celebrate life? Is it uh, because it wants to show off and be the envy of all the other insects? Is it to revel in the freedom of flight? Or is it to become fully itself? And of course, the answer is none of those things. The reason why a caterpillar turns into a butterfly is for one reason only. From the moment that it unfurls those wings, it is committed to finding a mate and to breed and lay eggs and reproduce for the next generation. And then most of them die very quickly. Most butterflies only live for a few days or weeks, although there are a few that will live longer. But from the moment that they emerge, some of them don't even have mouth parts to feed. They come out with one thing on their mind. The clock is ticking and nothing is more important than reproduction. So when we speak about being transformed 
into Christ or transformed in Christ, it begs the question, transformed for what? Is it just that we can say we are being transformed and born again? Now, at the start of his letter, John talks about walking in the light, and much of what he writes in the rest of the letter is exploring what that means. And he is very clear that the heart of our transformation is rooted in the overwhelming love of God the Father, that it's obtained, as Nigel reminded us, through the loving sacrificial actions of Jesus, and it results in lives energized by the Holy Spirit and characterized by the same love that Jesus revealed. So how do we know when someone or even ourselves have been transformed or are being transformed? How do we know that we are children of God? And the answer comes back because we start to love our sisters and our brothers. We start to want to do in ourselves that which is right as the Holy Spirit prompts us. We start to be more loving. And that sounds great and we're reminded, well I was reminded of the Beatles, all you need is love. Love is all you need. And if only it were as simple as that. Let's think for a moment together about the kind of love that John is speaking about. And then later you can, uh, when you get home, you can think about how the way John understands love compares with the way our world so often speaks about love. And at the moment we seem to live in a society that defines love in terms of the right to express love in whatever way we want to it, and the right to feel fully loved and affirmed just as we are, whatever we choose at any given time, and the right to fulfill all our desires, to be our best or to live our best life. Well, listen to the words of John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Love for us as followers of Christ is defined by the life and self-giving of Jesus. And one thing that is conspicuously lacking from Jesus' words and teaching is any concern at all about his own needs or happiness. At times, his path of sacrifice was costly, and yes, there were times when that cost was almost too great to bear, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read how he cries out, pleading with God for the cup to be taken away. But in the end, he chose to say, not my will, but yours be done for the sake of those that he loved. A life that was not about his own aggrandizement, not about his own happiness or his own recognition, but about denying himself for others. This is John, says John, is how we know what love is. So let's just reflect for a few minutes together, and you can add many more examples as you look through on what the few of the things that Jesus laid down. I think, first of all, he laid down the right or the need for recognition, to be the centre of attention. And we know that his disciples at times got very frustrated by that, 
because they wanted him to appear as the son of God in glory. They wanted to be able to march with him into Jerusalem to liberate people. And they were frustrated that he wasn't claiming his rightful place in society and they weren't getting all the recognition. And when he was offered a shortcut to power and authority by the devil, he turned him down. Now, Jesus could clearly have aspired to be one of the leading teachers of his generation. He could have aspired to be at the head of the Sanhedrin. He could have aspired to be speaking to people of power and have influence and authority. Yet he chose to live with ordinary people and to live a very simple and ordinary life. He laid aside the need for recognition. Secondly, Jesus gave up frequently his own time for others. We all feel that need for our own time and space for rest and refreshment. And yet we read again and again how Jesus, when he was tired and gone to a place of rest, when others came, he had compassion on them and he gave up his own rest and time in order to minister for them, giving himself for their comfort and healing. Thirdly, he laid aside the comforts and the benefits of family life and home. He chose the single life over marriage and children. And he moved from place to place, encouraging and teaching others. And at times his chosen path even brought into conflict with those he loved the most, with his closest family, who didn't understand what he was doing. And yet for him, that self-denial and that self-sacrifice was worth it. He laid down his right to defend himself before his accusers. He refused to be defined by anger and hatred towards those who attacked him. He didn't take things personally to heart and carry resentments and fear. Yes, he was ruthless in condemning hypocrisy and injustice and calling out the actions of those who practiced them. But he never stopped loving the perpetrators. He was always looking for the moment when the tax collector, the prostitute, the Pharisee, the outcast, those who rejected or wounded him would turn towards him in faith and hope. When people attacked him or hurt him, he didn't take it personally. But he looked beyond to see their needs and never stopped loving the people. Jesus' life of self-sacrifice and self-denial culminates in the Easter story of resurrection. And as Jesus reminded us, as Nigel reminded us last week, it opens the way for us and all those who turn to Christ to be transformed into his likeness. And he himself challenged his followers and us, saying that if we would go after him, we must take up our cross, deny ourselves, take up that cross daily, and follow him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And, says John, we ought to lay down our lives for others. That is an amazing vision. Just imagine what a world would look like where all people everywhere lived a life of self-sacrifice and self-denial for others. It would be a world where every parent, and not just some, nurtured their children, 
denying themselves, creating safe and clear boundaries in which those children could grow up with both parents, secure and loved without fear. A world where they wouldn't be frightened to send their children out into a community in case people harmed them. It would be a world where there was no domestic violence or abuse, and a world where men did not use their physical strength to bully and oppress others. Imagine a world where workers were not exploited, where adults and children were not trafficked, where the rich used their wealth for the benefit of the poorest and most vulnerable. Imagine a world where politicians told the truth. I know it's hard. Where vaccines were shared and governments were just and fair. Where people were not judged or discriminated against because of the color of their skin. When Jesus laid down his life and denied himself, he didn't do it on a Saturday in the synagogue. He didn't do it just in the quiet places in the remote areas where he prayed before his father. He didn't even do it by giving up chocolate in Lent, although Lent and chocolate didn't exist at the time, so he would have found that difficult. It was out on the streets day and night. It was in his home. It was in his relationships with others. It was those that he lived with and worked with. That's where he denied himself and laid down his life. His world, like ours, was a world of poverty and inequality, of oppression, ill health, violence, abuse and injustice, just as it too could also be a place of laughter, love and blessing. And the self-giving love that Jesus modelled in that context was practical and sacrificial, expressed in deeds of service, taking the form of a servant and often to those who did not appreciate what he was doing, who did not thank him or love him or understand it, and who at many times wounded or hurt him. While we do not come to Christ in order to earn our salvation by doing good deeds, our good deeds don't earn us that transformation. We are transformed entirely through the loving grace of Christ. But once we are transformed, we are called as people to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. We're called to be part of this great vision of a kingdom that is being worked out where people walk and live with different values, where we put others above ourselves. Do you know, guys, you and I who are men and husbands or fathers, it's very easy to put ourselves first. There's a real challenge there to love our wives, to love our families, and not to allow the distractions of things like pornography or other people to take our minds and our thoughts and our actions away. James, in his letter, writes, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. And John here gives us an example of material wealth. He says, If we are sincere about following Jesus and embracing his path, then 
it's not conceivable that if we're following Jesus, we could have huge amounts of wealth and never share any of it with others. How could that possibly be loving, let alone reflecting the love of Christ? And so he urges us to love not just with word and tongue, but in actions and in truth. And here is the essence of our calling. We are transformed into likeness of Christ to become part of a new way of living, to be salt and light in the earth, seeking to build and model a community of love that is based on the example and life of Jesus and enabled by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we won't all have struggles. We may have issues of our own that sometimes seems all-consuming, but that doesn't mean that even in those places we can't still deny ourselves and love and serve others. I've been very humbled recently by Alison Rowe. Ali Rowe, some of you will know, she grew up in this church. Um, uh, she was Ali Tomlin, her brother is Graham Tomlin. This church was very much her home. Uh, a few, uh, about a month or two ago, her daughter Katie gave birth to a very precious child that they'd had tremendous trouble conceiving. And Katie, during the operation, had uh, a sudden bleed, uh, which was uh, very, very serious, and then developed sepsis. And there were several occasions when they were absolutely convinced that she was going to die and they had to come in to say goodbye. It was an extremely difficult and painful time for them as a family. And yet I was so touched and humbled by the fact that even while she was going through all of that, Ali was still reaching out to others and caring for them. She was reaching out to people in Uganda, to a bishop's wife who had lost her husband, and she was helping to raise money to sort out and support them. She was reaching out to others who were in need, who needed her help. Despite her own situation, she was denying, not denying, but looking beyond it to love others. And when I asked her how she was doing it and what she was doing, she said, well, you know, I've received so much from God and he's been so faithful. And I thought, what a wonderful testimony that we have this immense love that touches us so greatly that even in our darkest times, we can still see and recognize that others also have needs. And you know, our capacity to love grows the more we exercise it. Those who have children know that each time you have another child, your love for the first doesn't diminish. Those of us who have nephews and nieces know that each one brings more love into our lives. And when we create more friends, we don't lose or diminish the love we have for others. It grows. We are called to be a people who live in the love of Christ, offering our lives in service. Now, I don't know how many times over the years many of us may have said or sung the prayer that is attributed to St. Francis. Make me a channel of your peace. And I wonder how often we've sung it feeling condemned because we know in our hearts that we don't live like that and we can't live like that. And somehow that makes us feel that we are less than what we should be. But I don't think Francis's prayer is meant to condemn us because if we have been set free in Christ, 
We are free from condemnation. Our consciences and our hearts no longer need to condemn us because Christ has already set us free. Free to worship God, but also to live as he wants us to be. And I think that Francis wants to see, he offers us this vision, not to condemn, but to inspire us. Not to make us feel guilty, but to say, here is a vision that's worth walking towards. Something that's worth aspiring towards, striving towards, because it's a great vision. Because he recognized that the path to true humanity, to true joy, is in following Jesus' example of self-denial. For it is when we lose sight of our own lives in giving them up for God that we gain everything that really matters. So I want to finish our thoughts this morning by reading that prayer that's attributed to St. Francis as an invitation to us all, even though I know that I, probably along with most of us, will never actually reach that ideal but as an invitation to us to renew our sense of calling to live lives that are modelled on Jesus' self-giving life. Lives that are modelled in truth and integrity and in wholeness. Lives that bring health to others, not damage. Lives that reject those things that are wrong and toxic and seek the things that are positive. So if you'd like to close your eyes for a moment, and I will read these words. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring light. And where there is sadness, may I bring joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. May I not seek to be understood so much as to understand. May I not seek to be loved so much as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.